0: Welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. Across the series, we explore the emerging trends in tech and meet key speakers, futurists, and business leaders from across the globe. In this episode, ASM Technologies' Stephen Dale talks through tech innovation and trends in the sports technology sector with Julian Bewley. Julian is a digital first entrepreneur, founder, and investor who built and sold a successful gaming tech business to Sport Tech in 2018. Before leaving to become the chief revenue officer at Spond, an award-winning Norwegian startup app in the sports technology sector. Over the next 30 minutes, Julian talks through his passion for grassroots sport, the importance of purpose in the IT industry, the opportunities for tech companies in grassroots sports, and his vision for Spond in the future. All of that to come on ASM Connected.
1: I'm Stephen Dale, and you're listening to the ASM Connected podcast. Today, I'm excited to be talking with Julian Bewley about the sports technology sector. Welcome to the podcast, Julian.
2: Thanks, Stephen. Lovely to be here.
1: So we've got a bit of a plan. We like to talk about emerging technology, talk about innovation, and as always, the importance of agility. And today, with your expertise, we're going to be focusing on the sports industry, where I think everybody will appreciate that technology is having this increasing importance in sports, not just on the field, but off the field as well. So I'm really interested to explore that. But before we get into that, Junior, I'm just interested in your journey and how you got into gaming and then that journey you've been on to get to the grassroots sports side of tech at the moment? Sure. It's more of a windy road, I
2: think, so to speak, than a straight line. So many years ago, I was fortunate in some ways that I'd uh, lived in America, came back from the States. I knew that the web was going to be a big part of our lives. At that point, the U.S. was very fast moving in terms of technology. So I knew that when I came back to live in the U.K., I knew that online was kind of where I wanted to be as a person, set about and did a little bit of training. And I was lucky in that one of my first companies that hired me was a startup in the real money gaming space. They were an online poker startup. And at that time, this is kind of early noughties poker was flying it was hugely popular online poker was in its relative infancy but the technology was rapidly moving and the demand was crazy so i joined that startup and i had a brilliant journey with those guys from sort of 2003 to kind of 2009 10 when we were eventually acquired by uh, by playtech then the the world's biggest b2b gaming business and uh yeah what a great journey that kind of taught me the foundations really i suppose of everything from fast moving tech and its importance development marketing affiliate marketing payments at that point the gaming industry was pretty much at the forefront of all of these areas so that was my early introduction into tech and i just knew it was a space i wanted to be in forever And I think the things that really appealed to me were the ability to go into lots of different markets, lots of different territories and solving problems en masse. And these might be relatively minor problems compared to Elon Musk's how do you send somebody to Mars as as, as is sort of framed now. But how do you launch a business into Australia? How do you launch a business into Italy? How do you launch a business that's been successful where you are in the UK into a different market? And what are the complexities that come with that? But, you know, that tech space of being dynamic and being able to get into that really was, was, that's what gave me my early appetite. And it's been kind of many, many years since, you know, having left the the poker space, um, I then moved more into the B2B provision of platform delivery for gaming. And that's been an area, again, I think that still has huge, huge potential. And what you found was that it was a A lot of early fast moving companies and fast moving technology in the early noughties that then ended up 2010, maybe 2010 to 2015 with pretty much legacy tech, which is exactly the reasons why I'm here. You know, they maybe a lot of these gaming businesses weren't that agile, didn't manage to move quick and light. um, And I saw an opportunity in that space to dive in with some nice agile tech, super light, super dynamic that could keep pace, I think, with an ever changing sector. And that's kind of where I am and, and still am to this
1: day. Yeah, that's it's great. You've touched on the agility there. So obviously, you've explained the story there. It's fast moving. It's definitely a windy road rather than a, a straight line. Definitely. And this is where that agility sort of comes into it. So how have you built that into the way you sort of work and your attitude to growing these businesses? But also, how do you implement that sort of agile mentality into the, the culture of the businesses that you're working at, whether it's startup or scale-up type businesses. Well, you must have
2: seen, I mean, how many businesses have you spoken to and you worked with over time that if you think about it, agility is probably a startup's biggest strength. The idea this tiny garage startup can come and compete with the behemoths. It's all based on agility. So definitely is a startup's biggest strength. Then the biggest challenge is how do you maintain that agility as you start to scale? And it's absolutely those companies that manage to keep and foster that culture and that mindset where agility is key, that they do manage to pivot. They do manage to attend and address these new opportunities. I think for me, there's a quote that stuck with me forever. And it was one that was hammered into me when I worked with an angel invested with a startup with a with, with a big VC business, I think probably about 2011. And that was culture eat strategy for breakfast, the old Peter Drucker quote. And that's just key, right? That kind of covers everything. So for me, you've got to try and run fast. You've got to run fast enough that the wheels don't fall off. And it's about fostering that culture where you have that entrepreneurial drive. From our perspective, you know, we have a we place a lot of value on a kind of a flat hierarchy, so that we encourage, I think, creativity across the board. Super, super transparency. Maybe most importantly of all of those uh, th- those values is ownership. So we try and place that area, the feeling that anyone in the team is the CEO of, and it might be the CEO of a a project, but it's ownership. You know, someone owns that project, they see it through, but they get the value that they can contribute, be open, be transparent, request. And I think that really for us helps contribute from that early startup phase where everything's completely agile and super, super loose. Moving into scale up, but still trying to maintain and run as fast as possible, it definitely comes down to ownership. And for us, it's all about the culture. And everything else facilitates and supports that. So you will have worked with lots of tools that support tech and comms and delivery. And there's everything from Asana, Slack, and the way that we work nowadays, and modern connectivity tools. But it all comes down to culture. If you set the culture and you get the values right, I think it really pays dividends in making sure that the wheels don't come off as you get to scale up phase
1: and you can still attend to
2: what is the UVP of a startup, right? Agile.
1: Absolutely. What well, I love about that sort of journey. So agility in itself, and it's quite funny talking about agility in relation to sports tech and sport, because yeah. obviously the word agility is, is to me, it sort of comes from and is more comfortable in that sporting arena, but using it is in business. I often see it misplaced and sort of the way people talk about it. But I think to stop agility getting out of hand and, and running crazy, that accountability bit, to bring that to it as well, just keeps it level. And I think my my view of agility, and we work with a lot of very large companies that are trying to embrace agility, but they kind of do understand the limitations of of scale, They've probably got the accountability bit down more than the agility. And, and that's where we're seeing these ecosystems and partnerships of big and small companies together and playing to their relative strengths to make stuff happen and, and get stuff done. That's a great point, because I think you, you end up in that. You will have seen it. And it's at some point
2: a scale up has that period where almost the needle of having no processes is at one end. And then you get to a certain size and a certain scale where processes become a necessity. And you tend to find that the needle then flips the other way. And almost at some point in some of those scale ups, then the processes come in and they probably come in and they stifle innovation and that agility for a certain period of time. And likewise, the big corporates and the bigger organisations will have those processes in place, but struggle in some ways to flip that needle where... As you said the accountability is down but the freedom to have the openness the transparency that entrepreneurial environment they really struggle with so if there is a way of bringing these two things together from my working space i've I've often seen that in hubs and uh, startup environments and incubators and things that can foster this in terms of partnerships it can be a win-win definitely but for me i you know I, i completely agree that agile culture making sure that you've got ownership from start to finish, but also creating that real openness that anyone can contribute is key to making sure that you
1: maintain growth and capitalize on opportunities definitely yeah that, that balance it's another another word that again lends itself to the sporting world really it's really really important in sport and business so sort of moving into this sports side of the technology sector i, I find it really interesting uh, i've worked in and around technology in sports mainly in the background of sort of big events like wimbledon and the olympics whilst working with Uh, The traditional systems integrators and and their input. I think, as a whole, the gaming sector is a little bit of an enigma to me in terms of that niche area. And one of my colleagues gave me a a stat recently from Gartner saying how the gaming industry has now grown to surpass the value of media, traditional leisure and entertainment, and travel pre-COVID. Apparently, yeah, all combined, the gaming sector's bigger, which It's so big, yet is it still a bit of a secret club? Is it so niche that there's only a few invited in? What's your experience of it? It's a great point. Secret
2: club, I'm not sure about, but size, undoubted. So in this area, I mean, gaming is a beast. And of course, there are different levels and tiers as to what you describe as gaming. So you've got what was traditional computer gaming now that world particularly with metaverse is blending and becoming more AR VR led you've got an esports market which is professional gaming and in its own right i mean esports in uh, in the US i think alone was valued at about just over a billion in 2021. So if you look at that, that's huge. You're talking about, well, pre-COVID, but you're talking about auditoriums and theatres and stadiums sold out 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people coming there to watch these Esports participants and these professional esports players take part and compete against one another. And then and that's in the real world, so to speak. You know, I've actually sat there watching these people. And then you've also got that live stream to millions and millions of other people outside across worldwide. So you can see that the dynamic of what we would previously consider computer gaming, gaming, real money gambling, there's definitely that convergence that's coming together. I think if you add to that, then a mix of some super, super interesting companies that have grown during the pandemic, but the likes of Strava and what they're doing. And if you look at the gamifications of their particular apps and how that's coming together in the space, you're seeing some really interesting overlaps and interesting trends that are set to grow. That blurring of the lines between reality, um, physical exercise, gaming, esports. You can see how there is that convergence coming together, which is only going to increase and only set to get stronger. So super, super interesting. For, for me, one of my uh, big areas of expertise was the lottery sector. And that was kind of intrinsically linked to, to fundraising. And lotteries have been around, Stephen, for thousands of years. I mean, the Chinese Han Dynasty built the Great Wall of China based on the, the world's first ever lottery. So uh, thousands of years ago. So they've been around for, for a long, long time. And that kind of incentivized giving is something that's ingrained in human psyche. So for me, because they've been around for thousands of years and their format hasn't evolved a huge amount, I saw that as a, as a really big area to innovate and innovate to an, an area that we could change and push the boundaries. So and the lottery industry, again, to put some numbers on it. The combined lottery industry is worth more than the entire film movie industry put together. So, all the blockbuster films the, and the things that you see released in the cinema and Netflix and whatever else, the lottery industry is worth infinitely more than all of these put together. So, in terms of scale, it's it's something that's enormous. So we saw that as a as an interesting area to disrupt, and I still think there's there's a lot of potential to be had there. And that's definitely one of those when you look at convergence of different sectors. For sure, it's there question that you asked me is a really interesting one is it a secret club of a sector i wouldn't say it's a secret club but what i would say is that there is some enormous players in that ecosystem that aren't necessarily household names to the layman so to everybody on the ground there aren't many recognizable ibm names out there but they're of an equal size And there's some very, very interesting players. And you can imagine there's some very, very interesting players who maybe sit a layer under that ecosystem that look after things like data and integrity and control. And that's, again, a super, super interesting area of growth.
1: Fascinating one for us to delve into for sure. That's a great answer to the question. I've learned I've learned a lot from that. And I think some of those peripheral areas that you spoke about sometimes we call about shadow channels which is yeah. sort of other areas outside the traditional ones where the big players sit. But no, I've learned a lot from that. So instead of a secret club, it's probably uh, lots of maybe niche sectors within a sector, but from what you're saying they're starting to sort of come together and it's at the at the crossroads point where developing new use cases and scale ailing globally across different areas is where it maybe all starts to come together and maybe it will become and start to look like a more traditional sector in terms of that interconnectedness so yeah fantastic answer i really really appreciate that now a lot of the technology that i've seen sort of coming through is focused very much on elite level sport which we all know about and then more recently maybe the fan experience when we talk about the potential use cases of wearables and virtual reality This whole area of grassroots sport, it does seem to get overlooked, which I do find bizarre because when you think of the amount of people that are involved in that, and it's not just the participants of it, it's obviously their parents, their families and the whole infrastructure around it. So. With there being so many people involved in grassroots, I've been racking my brain and I'm sort of thinking, obviously, sportswear brands, they're all over it. They're connected. They see that audience base. But, you know, who else is a big player in grassroots sports? And, you know, what attracted you to it that other people might not have seen? Great question. And the
2: one overarching name I want to get into your head is Spon, right? So, obviously, in terms of size, of an audience. If we just look domestically alone here, just in the UK, you've got 9 million participants of grassroots sports in the UK, and that's just sport alone. So above that, if you were to take that a level above, 200,000 grassroots clubs, 320 national governing bodies, Now we've got a really big audience here. And that's something that I think the UK can be incredibly proud of. And then we've got ancillary activities that sit alongside that, you know, that might be voluntary groups, it might be smaller sports, it might be learn to whatever, learn to swim, learn to cycle, learn to ride, all of these things are supportive of that network. And I think when you look at that demographic in the UK, it's a real achievement, number one. And secondly, as you said, it's a really big audience. And a lot of those people, I think it's interesting the point that there's not many recognizable brands that live in that area. I think one is definitely by its very nature is grassroots is amateur. Amateur tends to equal financial constraints, not professional, not much money. And when there are those kind of demographics in place, maybe it's not the immediate channel that people would, would reach to. I certainly think, and again, it's interesting to say that you know some brands have been active in this space, not just the guys like you know Nike and Adidas and the sportswear brands, but there are other brands that have leaned into this space by way of support and activation, maybe brand awareness, and McDonald's and Sainsbury's. And we've got other big brands there that have kind of lent into to this area run some interesting campaigns. I think for us, the thing that's super, super interesting is with that very wide and deep demographic that we spoke about, that 9 million participants. Now, on top of that, you've then got coaches, volunteers, administrators, parents, guardians, uncles, aunts, nans, grandads, all there contributing to that participant having a good, journey good experience learning the sport developing their their personality developing as a person i think for me that's really interesting because that area there tends to be a really underloved area certainly of um i think of of organization generally it's not easy to be a volunteer it's not easy to be a, a coach at a grassroots sports level a lot of these roles tend to be unpaid they're voluntary they're hugely time consuming You have to consider all the modern aspects like GDPR, data privacy, safeguarding. There's a lot of responsibility in taking up those roles, and they tend to be under luck. And the one thing that drew me to Spond was that it genuinely is, Stephen, it's tech for good. So it was founded in uh, 2013 by a Norwegian entrepreneur called Per Otto Wald, who's hugely passionate in this area about giving something back to those people. So making sure that we can save people who give up their time on a voluntary basis, that we can save them time, we can save them money so that they can do the things that they love. So, you know, the reason that you are coaching a under 11s football team is because you love to coach. You love to teach. You love to develop skills. That's what you love. You probably don't love being sat there till three o'clock in the morning, filling out forms for data privacy and safeguarding and GDPR, you know, and having been bombarded with people chasing payments, and emailing people that haven't paid their subs and their membership fees. That's an area of it that that you don't love. So if we can free up their time to get them back out on the pitch into the sports halls and back out helping children and adults develop their own skills and develop as people, that's what we're all about. So from my perspective, I think I kind of reached a time, a stage in my career and maybe in my life that I was looking to do something that was more rewarding. Not that gaming isn't rewarding, but just so that I could really see. And you know, I've always loved sport. You know, I've played sport for many years. Some that plays sport, very, very active in the sports world. So I just really wanted to give something back. And I just loved the idea that you could marry great tech and tech for good with this underlying element of this real intrinsic element where you could combine the two and really have this sustainable approach to giving something back. And if we can save uh, the administrator you know, seven, eight hours a week so that they can get back out onto the court, onto the pitch, on, into the hall, into the pool, wherever they are, and actually give that back to people and demonstrate that good experience, that can only be a good thing, right, for sure.
1: Yeah, I love it. It's such a different idea as well. It's not sort of what you initially think of of a sports technology app. And, and that's where it's such an interesting space with everything that's coming through at the moment. So what you're describing there is, you know, it's a communications, it's an organization platform, which lets people get on with what they want to do, which which I think is, is a fantastic idea and surely this sector this grassroots sector it's only set to grow if you like say you move outside of traditional sport and pulling all these other leisure activities i talk about it on a lot of our podcasts the the leisure society you know we've got a more health conscious generations coming through and the way that robots are going to be doing all the hard work for us we're all going to have this extra time for leisure so i can only see this growing if we believe that the leisure society is coming along. And the amount of times I mention it is is me willing it along, by the way. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well you've got imagine this, I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time where
2: health, wellness, and almost that togetherness has been so important. So you know, we've all realised over the last couple of years in particular that prioritising being part of a group and a team, prioritising our health and wellness is something that can only be a good thing. So keeping fit generally is, is incredibly important. And I think it was, it was a study actually it was recently published this week, but the global wellness market looks like it's set to top $7 trillion by 2025. And obviously that encompasses all kinds of aspects underneath it. But from a team sports perspective, if the way that you stay healthy is to go and play five a side with your friends, or if your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, if the way that they stay active is by going out and playing grassroots sports with their friends, then definitely this is for us a really key area to be in. And for Spond, you know, in terms of our user base, I mean, we've got 1.3 million monthly active users, of which 1.1 million people currently use our app every single week to communicate And that's parents, it's volunteers, it's club members, administrators. And these are tough roles. But if we're helping them just that little bit to save more time and do what they do, then we're definitely setting out on
1: our mission to achieve that tech for good status, which is what we're all about. Yeah, so just drilling down into it a little bit, and a few things sort of spring into mind. It's scaling it, it's an app, you want to make it available to people, and as you say, there's not a great deal of money, perhaps, in, in grassroots sport. So if you want to keep this free for everybody, and no one likes an app that sort of lures them in and then start, you know, it wants to charge you straight away. So if you're going to keep it free at the point of use, so there's there's obviously a couple of different angles you can go down, and that's either the advertising route, or you're going to be relying on the value of your data. But then you get into that other sort of Facebook messiness around privacy and people not trusting you with their data. And with with so many children and all different diverse society involved in this kind of thing. How are you going to keep something like this going and, and generate revenue whilst reassuring people that one, their data is safe and two, you're not going to suddenly start charging them a subscription once you've lured them in.
2: Yeah. So when Perotto set out to found this in 2013, he set it out with a mandate that the app would always be free to download. So for him, from his outlook, it's that it's that inclusivity in to make sure that everybody can get into the ecosystem and be protected and be looked after. You know, we think that's a really important facet for us. So currently we have a mobile app called Spond App and then we have a desktop enterprise version called Spond Club which allows essentially a club to manage multiple groups, multiple teams, and uh, thousands and thousands of members through one single interface, which is is actually really, really cool. So from our side, the app's free to download and it's completely ad-free. So there isn't a single ad in there. And the important thing for us, and I think this comes in the feedback that we get from our users, is that we create a really uncluttered, simple, and very, very clean user experience by not having any ads in there. And it's not just not having the ads in there, but we kind of pride ourselves on having this very simplistic, very easy to use user experience. And we know that that is so important to our spawn community, because if we're gonna save time and if we're all about saving them administration headaches and making sure that we can they can find things quickly, create polls, create events, receive payments, all in a very swift and easy to use UI, we need to make sure that we live that and breathe that all the time. So for us, it's about creating, keeping that UX very, very clean. And I think that's really our UVP is that, you know we do have an unparalleled UX UX side there. And then when it comes to kind of revenue models, at the moment what we do is we have, like I said, everything's free to download and there's, there's no advertisements in there at all. We have the ability and enable clubs and groups to take payment through our app and through our um, through our spawn Club user interface at the same time. And by doing that, when they process payments, we take a small transaction fee for processing those payments for them. So what we like about that is that our revenue is aligned with that of the club and the groups themselves. So we only make money when they make money. And that's pretty much how we see Spon being positioned as a, as a business. I mean, the interesting thing that we've done to date is that we've created a very seamless, interesting user experience and a very, very interesting ecosystem that's safe, that's clean, that has a simple user interface and is highly, highly functional from an organizational and a communication perspective. So we've got that. We've got this brilliant community of grassroots sports players and other non-sports players of different groups and activities that participate inside the group and all organise their groups and communicate very efficiently. The next stage for us, and this is really interesting, is where we help them thrive. So how can we make sure that those groups grow, that they expand? How can we make sure that they can activate different revenue channels as well? So how do we make sure that let's say, you know, Leckhampton under 11's team, how do we make sure that that group not only can communicate really efficiently and that we're enabling those volunteers, those parents, those children to communicate safely and effectively in a a nice environment, but how do we make sure then that those teams themselves can attract more members and that they can thrive and that they can grow and, you know, kind of thus expanding that 9 million grassroots sports players in the UK to 10 11 12 13 14 million people that's where it's really interesting for us so how can we make sure that spond is positioned at that expansion of grassroots sport and wellness across the UK and elsewhere in the world so that's kind of that's our focus think for the future is making sure that we're there so yeah i mean from a from a um, from some things that we don't do just to just to hammer home yeah the app is free the Spawn Club uh, application is free to download. We have no advertisements. GDPR and data privacy is obviously absolutely critical and crucial for us. And the fact that our teams and our groups can have mixed age groups and mixed groups in there by its very nature means that we have you know, minors' data and teams will have minors' data in there. So we have to make sure that we're completely compliant on a GDPR perspective to the nth degree. So we take huge pride in being uber uber gdpr compliant and also that all the data there is completely private so we don't sell data we don't have any of the facebook issues in fact what we do see i think is our biggest user case i think it's fair to say is that there are lots of other ways to communicate you know let's say that the social networks and other messaging applications that aren't purpose built for this particular environment that organizers and volunteers currently struggle with so one of the big user cases for using Spond is that you're struggling to communicate in maybe mixed groups elsewhere where you've got adults and children, or you've got just children, and you've got children and you've got coaches. How do you communicate efficiently with everybody in that setting to make sure that it's it's safe, that the data's private, that you've got safeguarding covered off and that there's no GDPR issues? And we see that as a big driver for being a part of Spond because obviously, you know, it's, it's a huge challenge, particularly when people are volunteers in this sector. So I think the biggest challenge for us is which areas don't we explore? So I spend a lot of my time with the team here mapping out what we could do and then thinking, right, well, you know, where don't we take it? Because there are so many routes, be it helping our teams, you know, get sponsors, being marketplaces, purchasing kit. Where don't we go? Which areas don't we take it? And certainly for us, the focus at the moment is making sure and building that ecosystem to be incredibly feature-rich, to enable the clubs to do more. And then, like I said, enabling them to thrive thereafter. We believe if kind of our success in doing that aligns with the
1: clubs, then we both grow together. I think that's going to be really nice. Yeah, I love it. I love hearing your passion for it, Julian. And obviously, again, this is something in the sporting world, if you, you know, you'll be seen through if you're not bringing that passion to the table. And it, it's amazing pulling two subjects together, really, because people that listen to this podcast, we're all working in the technology sector. So I love the whole technology conversation here. But then the conversation about how do we get our children's local clubs to be more efficient, how do we attract new members, how do we make the experience better for all of us, it's just a common conversation that lots of us sit around and have in the evening and at weekends. So marrying those two sides of everybody's personal interest and the technology as well is is something that I could sort of talk about all day long. But I just wanted to um, take that step back again and look at the tech industry as a whole, because what we're seeing at the moment is a sort of real interesting companies that are out there with a sense of purpose. And they're putting that sense of purpose and that wanting to do good ahead at the moment of you know just making money for the shareholders, for example. And that seems to be a trend that's going to continue. And I think emerging tech companies can play a really important role in that. How significant do you think startups and scale-ups are going to be in, in that positive movement? Huge. I think it's huge. It's
2: a great question because you often see that there are Brands that are trying to backfill in this space, so brands that have about been out there for commercial good for a long, long time and now realizing they need a sustainable angle. And it's more of a pivot. And I think in many areas there you've seen, and a lot of them been called out recently, that they don't really live it. It's clearly a pivot and it's not something that they live and breathe. There's a big difference here. and We're not on our own, certainly in this space, but Spond is a really genuinely a tech for good business. It was established to maintain with a tech for good purpose and footing, and it's very firmly rooted in that. And there are other companies that are in the same vein. I think startups and scale ups, if you don't have that core integral tech for good element to you, or certainly that positive drive towards giving something back and adding value and sustainability, I think there's a real risk there of consumer pushback and you can see it with a lot of the big social networks at the moment. You can see it with a lot of the big fashion houses and fashion brands and tech's no different. It's one of those that's judged with exactly the same lens. The audience that we reach is on the size of millions and millions of people and a lot of consumers will simply vote with their feet and vote with their eyeballs and we're seeing that more and more. So I think it's got to have, any any startup that's coming into the world nowadays needs to think about its value proposition from that sustainable angle and is our tech evil or is it good and what are your core values from the very beginning because that openness, that transparency, coming back to the agility sense, you know, the way that you treat your people is the way that you treat your customers and if you live it and you breathe it, then everyone, customers included, your community, very much believes that if it's something that maybe is artificial and you're speaking with a forked tongue, it's the same thing. It's a more open and transparent world now. And that message can very quickly seep out. I think it's very easy for customers to see through. So for sure, I see it as a massive, massive, important part of modern day tech. Interestingly, so Spon received some investment quite recently, actually, it's well documented from a private equity group uh, based in Scandinavia called Vodate. And we're actually part of their sustainability fund. And that sustainability fund also contains other tech companies like minded, like ourselves, who really are tech for good and have that tech for good passion. So it'll become interesting to see what happens over the next 10 years as to whether consumers will become more savvy as to how they judge tech for good themselves whether they become badges and certifications and things like B Corps and whether we'll see a a higher prevalence of these kinds of certification bodies that award companies for for their approach and for their outlook. But I think it's a fascinating time to be in that space if you're on this side of it,
1: for sure. Absolutely. Our, our industry is a, is a better place if we're all putting um, that sense of purpose first. So I think there's a lot that our listeners can take away from this as well today. If you're working in the IT industry, you probably didn't, like myself, you didn't quite understand the scale of opportunity of, of technology in, in the sporting sector. So I think that's an exciting thing to go off and, and think about. But obviously, what you're doing at Spon sounds fantastic as well. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be taking a look at that app. And, and talking to their their own sports clubs and teams and, and friends about it, so that's that's fantastic. Just wanted to sort of wind us down now. I know we've all got day jobs to do, but a couple of quick fire questions. With you being from that sort of gaming gambling industry. Are you using any of your tech skills to cheat on the fantasy football or, or are you able to make any <laughs> any sort of accurate predictions into who's going to win the Premier League? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great point. So uh, fantasy
2: football wise, I can tell you that it's all about data, but I've just dropped, Stephen, from I think I was sixty 000, I've just taken a bit of a plummet on a on a couple of the cancellations to, to 100,000 globally. So not too bad. But I think w- what I've taken from my background is definitely data analytics. The, the more data sources you can pull in, the better, as long as you have a way of interpreting that data to deliver insights. And I think that's always key, isn't it? Is that there's data everywhere, bad data in, bad data out. So how do you interpret those insights? So fancy football for me is a big one. And we have a very interesting little side group of us that take part in that as well as being part of the competition so yeah that's a big one for me is uh it's fantasy football and then on the premier league side wow what a season i mean you've just got to factor in things like this season and last it's very difficult to factor in these last minute cancellations what kind of impact does that have on squad rotation on player motivation on player health and player well-being coming back to play so It's fascinating the kind of impact that has, but clearly it's a three horse race and being a Chelsea fan, I'm hoping that that horse does win at the end of the season. So uh, that's that's where I hang my
1: hat. You can't you can't guarantee it with the data, can you? There's too many too many variables, and you've just mentioned it again. The you know disruption, agility, all affecting the way that the season's going to go. So keeping that topical. Uh, and last question: What's your favourite tech gadget? We've been asking everybody this, and um, you know we've had some interesting answers. So keen to see which camp you fall in. Do
2: you know what I would say? I'm sure I I have listened to the podcast and I've loved it. Certainly for me, smartphone was was a game changer. But I'd say my my favorite tech gadget at the moment is an e-scooter. So when I'm here in the UK and I whip down to the office, I'm on an e-scooter. When I go out to Norway, I will tear around the city on on an e-scooter. And it is brilliant. There's no better way that I can make sure I get from A to B quickly It's environmentally friendly, which is obviously a huge boost. You also get to see things maybe that you wouldn't elsewhere. So e-scooter for me would be... A really good one that,
1: uh, yeah, that's on the list, and hopefully I'll get an upgrade if anyone's listening. That's 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 a great one, and you're the first person to mention that. And um, maybe for another occasion, I'll tell you about my recent trip on an e-scooter across London Bridge. And uh, our finance department were pretty surprised to have the first expenses claim <laughs> submitted for a scooter. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally on totally on board with that one. But look, Julian, it's been fantastic talking to you. It's a topic we could talk about all day long. You know, I wish you all the best with Spond and um, really appreciate your time today thank you thanks Stephen much appreciated thanks very much
0: Thanks for listening to ASM Connected, the podcast from ASM Technologies with guest Julian Bewley. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe now to make sure you never miss an update and check out the other episodes in the series featuring key speakers, futurists and business leaders from across the globe. And to find out more about the team at ASM Technologies or about anything discussed in the podcast, visit asmtech.com. This is ASM Connected.